Welcome to Pastor Matters, the podcast of the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We hope this conversation will both equip and encourage you to lead healthy churches that make disciples for the glory of God. Hi, I'm Brennan Ward. And I'm Ron Jorlock. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. Brother, I'm glad to have you back this week. And I'm also excited for today because we have a dear brother joining our conversation, Dr. Andrew Abair. Dr. Abair serves as the lead pastor of Paramount Baptist Church in Amarillo, Texas. He is also the author of Shepherding Like Jesus, Returning to the Wild Idea That Character Matters in Ministry, which we will discuss today. Dr. Abair, thanks again for your willingness to join our conversation. Brandon, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's just jump right into the conversation. I just want to come right off and just ask, why does character matter in pastoral ministry? Do you, do you feel like this is something that we often miss when looking, when churches are looking at pastoral candidates? That's a great question. And, and yes, I, I do think that churches often miss it. In fact, I've said this a number of times that I think that some pastor search processes are designed in such a way that an unbeliever could be called as the pastor but they actually meet almost all of the qualifications that many search committees are looking for. Um, They're gifted preachers. They are uh, good leaders. um, They are charming. They're charismatic. They have a beautiful wife and kids. They have a seminary degree. Well, the reality is you can do all of those things and not even know Jesus, Um, much less have character that looks like the character of Christ. And so I do think that churches tend to, Um, lean towards, you know, the way I would put it is issues of competency and chemistry. Can he preach? Can he lead? Can he handle the staff? Uh, Will people, you know, come to our church because of him being the pastor? Those are all competency issues. Chemistry. Do we like him? Uh, Is he likable? Do Do we enjoy being around him? Does he make us feel good? Those types of things. And I think that many search committees give a nod to character but no real examination of character. And so, you know, you guys saw the, the series of uh, articles from the Houston Chronicle uh, back in 2019 that, that, that highlighted um, the problem of sexual abuse in, in churches, particularly Baptist churches. Um, how can that happen? Um, well, one of the reasons is because our search processes don't ask the right kinds of questions and don't really examine uh, a pastoral candidate for character issues. So, so why is it important? Well, I had a, I had a mentor tell me one time, uh, he really warned me in college. I was in a preaching class and he just said, look, Andrew, you need to be very careful to not let your gifts take you where your character can't keep you. And what he meant by that was, Andrew, you can preach. Uh, you're good with people. You're a good leader. There are going to be churches that call you and your, your gifts will take you far. But if you don't have the character of Christ, then eventually those gifts will not be able to keep you where they've taken you. Wow. Uh, first off, kudos to uh, your your pastoral mentor for saying that, because um, there, there are a lot of folks when it comes uh, to ministry, there are a lot of folks that will fall for the charisma and they'll, they'll fall for, you know, the, as you mentioned, the competency uh, and so on. And, and they'll put folks on pedestals you know, they'll prop them up, you know, kind of the kingmakers, if you will. Uh, They'll, they'll give them those, uh, those opportunities and so on, because they see something in them. 
but that person may not necessarily be ready for the task at hand, you know, just simply because their character hasn't been developed. So praise God for the wisdom of your mentor to, to give you that warning uh, and, and really to, you know, to, to put you in that position where you're aiming for character, you know, before you wind up doing something that could wreck yourself and wreck the ministry. I, I want to give you a, a statement and I want you to, to tell me in your opinion, true or false and, and why true or why false. Okay. So the statement is this, the pastor's character is a, should be a higher priority to him and to the church than his preaching. All right. The, the pastor's character should be a higher priority to him and his church than his preaching. And you, I heard you say true. So why uh, would you say true to that? Yeah. That, you know, that's a hard question because both are important, obviously. So I don't, by saying true, I don't mean to diminish the importance of, of preaching, but I do believe that character actually is a higher priority. And, you know, the way that um, we often talk about in homiletics, uh, circles, the way we talk about preaching as uh, we, we talk about logos, ethos, and pathos. Logos meaning, of course, word, the content, uh, the proclamation itself. We're talking about the, the stuff of exegesis and dealing with the text and all of those types of things. We're talking about the content of the sermon. Absolutely, that matters. Pathos matters, right? We, we get our word passion uh, from the word pathos. We're talking about, does the preacher believe the message um, that he preaches? But ethos, um, where we get our word ethics, you know, we're talking at this point about, about character, the character of the proclaimer. Really what we're asking at that point is, is the preacher believable? Not just does he believe the message he's preaching, that's pathos, but is he a credible preacher? And we're talking about the the, the preacher's character at that point, his, his integrity, his virtue, the man of God, as he reflects the character of Christ. And the reason that I would rank that as more important than preaching is because if you lack ethos, it will undermine logos. It, it doesn't, you know, if you preach dynamic sermons, but your life contradicts the message you preach, then every sermon you have ever preached in front of a particular church, if you have some kind of massive moral failing, it will discredit those sermons that you've preached in, in the minds and the hearts of, of those who have heard you. And so I think that character matters, um, you know, not that preaching doesn't matter, of course, but it, character matters more because it undergirds and gives credibility to the message that is preached. When the church knows that you believe it and that your life reflects it. It opens a door for that message to have an impact in, in powerful ways. No, that's, that's actually really helpful. How can preaching be good? So talking about the act of preaching, how can, how can that be good for a pastor's own formation, his own spiritual formation? What a great question. Because the, the, uh, the answer is assumed in the question, right? It is good for our spiritual formation. Um, and what a, what a great truth that is as a pastor who, who preaches that this actually is forming me. I think that happens in multiple ways. The first thing that comes to my mind is the fact that by virtue of preaching week in and week out, I am forced into the text in ways that in my own sinful laziness, I might not do if I didn't have to. 
So in other words, in God's sovereignty and in his, his loving care for me, he may have known that the only way for me to spend the kind of time in his word that I really need to is to be forced into it. <laughs> and, and by his grace, I am week in and week out on the weeks where I feel like it or don't feel like it, uh, especially on those weeks where I don't feel like it. I know Sunday's coming. And so I've got to dig into the, to the word anyway. That's a spiritual, you know, that's the idea of spiritual discipline um, that even when I don't feel like this, uh, I'm, I've got to study the word. I've got to prepare a message and the Lord uses that to feed my own soul. When uh, maybe in my lazier moments, I would say, you know, I'd rather watch a baseball game or or something like that. I I wouldn't want to spend that kind of time in the word. So, um, you know, God takes the preacher and smashes him up into the word. And that's a great and blessed mercy. There, there are many other ways, you know, preaching is incredibly humiliating. Um, it is humbling um, that, you know, if you've preached more than your five, uh, what we say in Texas, your sugar stick sermons, you know, those are the ones in your back pocket that, you know, you're going to at least get a triple, maybe a home run. But when you've done this week in, week out, uh, year after year after year, you're going to have some pretty bad sermons in there. And it's a humbling experience uh, to preach your, you know, to prepare and preach. And it's just a dud. And, but then you see the Lord uses it anyway. And sometimes mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I'll sit down after a Sunday and I, you know, I nailed it. Uh, What a great sermon, you know, and I'm patting myself on the back and it, it, you know, nobody responds. Yeah. Nobody, nobody reacts. Uh, You know, it kind of goes over their head. Other times you don't even get to, to, to the pulpit before that humiliating moment happens. I remember one time (laughs) I was going up to preach and I tripped over a step. There were some ferns, there were some ferns on the step. And in my head, I was like, Brandon, you got to make a big step. And I made it too big of a step and it ended up falling. And uh, so sometimes you don't even get the chance to be behind the pulpit for those humiliating moments to happen. Yeah. You know, and then other times you preach a sermon that it's awful and you sit down and you think, what was that? And then somebody comes up afterwards and they're just like that. That was so life changing. You know, how how, have you been reading my mail or whatever? And when you when you do that year after year, you just come to the recognition, you know, that you are a vessel and um, the spirit is going to use the word in the church in ways that you cannot foresee um, in ways that you cannot control. And that, that is, it is humbling. It's worshipful. It drives me just to acknowledge like how great our God is, how great this word is, how great the spirit is to use this word in the lives of God's people. And so uh, uh, I think that's formative, you know, it, it forms a trust in the Lord and a trust in his word. Um, I'm preaching through Hebrews right now. Last Sunday, I preached Hebrews seven, a sermon on Melchizedek. You know, Hebrews is a tough book to preach. You got the warning passages, of course, but I think chapter seven is one of the harder sections because it's so foreign. You know, it's, it's hard enough to talk about like Levitical priests. And now you're preaching a sermon about how a priesthood in the order of Melchizedek is superior to Levitical priests. And there's a lot of fear and trepidation that goes into preaching a sermon like that. But I'll just be honest with you. I've had uh, more conversations in the last week about that sermon than I probably have in over five years of preaching at Paramount. Um, and I just stand back and say like, God's going to use his word, how he's going to use his word. And that is formative. It forms a mm. trust in, in my life of God and his word, the spirit, uh, how the spirit moves in the church. It's humbling. It drives me to worship, 
all of that because I get to participate in this, you know, in this holy calling to be a, a preacher, uh, to be a preacher of the word. I love Will Williman, who, who's a Methodist, but has some great stuff on preaching and pastoral ministry. He, he says, preaching is speech commandeered by God. Hmm. What a great definition. You know, what, what he means is uh, when you read the word, when you preach the word, like the spirit is going to do something with it, uh, maybe despite your best intentions. What are some ways that might be negative that preaching can actually hurt the pastor or the preacher? Well, I mean, certainly if it's about you, um, not about Christ, um, not about the text, you know, if this is the, to showcase your giftedness, if it's the, the pastor show, if it's a comedy routine, if it's something that highlights or magnifies you instead of magnifying Christ, then that would certainly be an example of that. You know, I think pride is an ever-present danger in the life of a preacher, especially if you do have a preaching gift, um, because there are so- sometimes where you you do nail it, and the people let you know, you know, and they compliment you, and and it, it, it suddenly becomes what a great preacher you are instead of what a great word from God or what a, a great Christ we serve, and so, you know, pride is always that, um, it, it's just it's just right there all the time, and, and so, so easy to accept, you know, what I call the clap of man, but when you receive the clap of man, you, you miss out on the applause of God. And uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus talks about that. In Matthew chapter 6, he talks about doing acts of righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them, whether it's fasting or giving or praying. And he says something that's pretty, to me, it's, it's, it's a stern word. He says, you, you will receive recognition by man, but the implication is you won't be recognized by God for that. So if, if you're in it for the clap of man, you'll get it, uh, but you'll miss the applause of God. That is so true. It is, it is so true. And it's so sobering for us because there is this balancing act, right? I mean, you, you want to, uh, you want to, you want to show your gratefulness, your thankfulness, you know, to, to those who, uh, who compliment you. And yet, you know, you also need that, that good dose of, of reality and humility to say, you know, you can always get better. And, and, and even on top of that, it's what they're celebrating is not so much you as it is the, the Holy Spirit working in you and through you. And so you want to join them and really kind of help steer them into worshiping the Lord uh, and, and not uh, worshiping you. Um, I know Brandon's heard me say this before. It's, it's a running joke that people that are like, that was you know, one of the best sermons I've ever heard in my head. I just like knee jerk reaction after all these years, I just go, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and, and if I can say that to myself, no, it wasn't, yeah. then that kind of jars me, you know, to, to respond, uh, in, in an appropriate way. Uh, and for those who are that, or, or myself, when I say to myself, that was the worst sermon you have ever preached, you know, uh, it, it's usually when I need that voice to go, no, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the worst, you know, it, you're, that sermon that was the best they've ever heard was not the best that they've, <laughs> that they've ever heard. Um, any more that we watch a sports game and we go, that was one of the best games I've ever, that was the best defense of all. No, it wasn't. Um, 85 Bears, next question. <laughs> Hold up, though. I think we can accurately say that the NBA dunk contest recently was the worst ever. Though. Oh, that was I by we, far the worst. Um, <laughs> that one total. doesn't apply to this. Yeah, yeah. I was groggy in church on Sunday because of that monstrosity. So, um, so now I'm twice as upset about that. But anyways. 
<laughs> so so we we talk character and i'm sure if you were to say what passage would you go to to talk about the pastor's uh, character you'd probably go to someplace like first timothy 3 titus 1 you know someplace like that 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 lays out the qualifications of an elder, uh, what what an overseer must uh, must be uh, if he's going to uh, if he's going to hold that office. But it's interesting. A, a passage that I don't hear a lot of people go to is First Timothy five, and I'm, I'm just going to read it for you. First Timothy five verses seventeen to twenty two. I'll just read that part. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, for the Scripture says. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. By the way, uh, Paul's use of the Old Testament is fabulous here. And the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. And then he says, keep yourself pure. And there's more to the passage, but I just want to focus on on this. What does this look like? Obviously, he's talking here about accountability. Uh, accountability, you know, elders, accountability to the congregation, you know, so forth here, uh, that uh, if there's an elder that is in sin, you know, we need to be careful, you know, uh, make sure that there's, you know, that there's evidence here, credible evidence, and and you got folks that can back up, uh, back you up on it, and so on. Uh, but there is, you know, the the instruction here to rebuke them in the presence of all if, if these elders are, are persisting in sin. But then on the front end, you also have if an elder is uh, uh, if there's someone who's candidating for an eldership, uh, don't be hasty in laying on of hands. So you have the front end here and you have kind of the unfortunate back end where, where the elder has to be rebuked. Uh, and so on there. Why is this accountability necessary? And, and what does this look like in the local church? Have you seen anything like this in your, in your uh, ministry? No, I really haven't, but what a, what a great question. And there's so much to unpack with what you've just said. So I, I really appreciate you drawing our attention to first Timothy five and you're, you're right. That is kind of a neglected text. We, we do focus on first Timothy three, first Timothy three kind of gets all the press when it comes to qualifications of, of elders. Let me just let me respond in a couple of different ways. First, just to point out, I think what's maybe the most obvious, notice how much Paul focuses on character. And that's what we're talking about here. If I can go back to First Timothy 3 here for just a second, it is interesting that there's only one, maybe two qualifications in the list that have to do with competency. Ability to teach, that's one. And then manage his household competently or, or well, which I would say that's a character issue as well but certainly some competence, but everything else has to do with character. Everything you're talking about in first Timothy uh, chapter five has to do with a, a pastor's character. There's mm-hmm. nothing here about if he preaches a bad sermon, here's what you do about it. You know, or if he didn't, you know, he's not very good at leading staff meetings. Here's what you do about it. If, if an elder sins, right. Or an accusation against an elder. I mean, these are character issues. Let me dip into uh, the sermon on the Mount here for a minute. Um, because that's what, what, what my book is about here's a sermon that Jesus is preaching, not to the crowds, but to 12 disciples. 
the future leaders of the church, it is interesting to notice what he doesn't talk about. He does not talk about how to preach sermons. I wish he had. That uh, would have been great, especially for guys like us who love to preach. Uh, you imagine Jesus on preaching. Uh, but, but what does he talk about? He talks about uh, being poor in spirit, mourning, humble, hungry, and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, peacemakers, right? He teaches you how to pray, how to forgive. I mean, it's, it's character issues that he's dealing with. So, so I just want to say that up front, just to, to point out the obvious here. Notice what he's talking about, the, care, the importance of character. In terms of the front end and the back end, I mean, on the front end, you know, Juan Sanchez, who pastors here in Texas, he's written a great book called The Leadership Formula. And uh, he's got a great definition that he talks about. And, and I, I don't have the book right in front of me, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get this exactly right. But he, he says, basically, character and consistency over time equals credibility. And that's so good. It, the key phrase there is over time. And I think one of the neglected aspects of pastoral vocation and calling is the importance of time. Um, and I say this, I, you know, I, I accepted my first pastoral position at 18. That was a terrible idea. <laughs> I probably wasn't ready. I, you know, no, probably about it. I was not ready. Zach Eswine, who's also written a great book called The Imperfect Pastor, he, he, he talks about the temptation to do large things famously and as fast as possible. And that temptation is in all of us to want to, to make a splash, to want to do something big and do it quickly. And so I think the idea of character and consistency over the course of time, what's clear in First Timothy chapter five is that you're not to rush into this. You know, the word tells us to, to first let a man be tested. And so I think on the front end to take more time to, you know, I wish that someone in, in my early years of ministry, and I'm still, by the way, young, I'm 35, but it would have been helpful, I think, for an older mentor or pastor just to, to put their arm around me and just say, slow down. Um, you, you don't have to become Billy Graham, you know, by the time you're 25, slow down. Let's, let's work on character formation. Let's work on consistency. The Lord will open up the right door at the right time, but let's not rush into this. I think that would have been good for me. So I think on the front end, waiting, uh, maybe waiting longer than you think you need to from the church perspective, testing, testing more than you think you need to on the, on the back end, you know, uh, accusations and so forth. I, I think we need to remember that the shepherd is still a sheep. We are sinful. Um, I think that Paul's warnings here and words here in First Timothy 5 take into account the total depravity of man, whether it's sex abuse scandals in the church or toxic leadership, you know, rises and falls of certain key leaders. You know, we've become more and more aware that uh, pastors are people too, and and therefore we are we are not immune, you know, from the temptations that are common to all men. And so I think churches need to be aware of that and pastors need to be aware of that. You know, uh, we'll, we'll skip over verse 23, which talks about uh, drinking wine to settle your stomach. Um, we'll let Presbyterians uh, deal with that verse. But uh, verses 24 and 25, uh, Paul says, the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. And I think that goes back to what you were just what you were talking about. There's there's that wisdom of watching over time. Uh, and, you know, there are some faults that let's just face it. You know, uh, we we thought we had it right. 
you know, we, we thought, you know, that this was uh, a person who was growing in godliness and a person that was an example to the flock and so on. But over time, it was shown that that person wasn't, you know, and, and uh, there was maybe somebody where it's pretty obvious up, up front, that person's going to need some time, that person's going to need some work. And so on both, uh, on both sides, there's the wisdom to say, let's, let's be slow about this. Uh, let's, let's take this, um, you know, uh, take this with, 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 with care, because obviously, as you that the character of the pastor is is worth the time and the patience to let their you know the 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 truth about them uh, kind of rise up to the surface. Yeah, that's that's really helpful as somebody who is the aspiring pastor in the conversation. There were you know times when I was younger where I thought you know I'm ready for this. It took one seminary class, one day at seminary in seminary for me to say, oh boy, you know I, I may not be ready. It took one day in the pastoral internship program at my church. For me to say, oh man, there's still there's some there's still some not just things because we all need to learn. We're always learning. There are some big things that I need to learn, and I'm so thankful that I did not just jump into it early on. That I was able to uh, to take it slow because if we take this thing that we call shepherding seriously, then we're going to do everything and anything we can to be as well prepared, as well rounded as we possibly can. You know, it is, there is a lot of pressure, I feel like, on guys that are younger because there are people, are voices in their lives saying, you need to go do this and you need to go do this now. If you're, if you're called to preach, you need to be pastoring now uh, so that you can make mistakes. And, you know, for some, maybe pastoring younger, they, you know, it, it works for them. But, you know, I, I would caution guys, you know, to not just jump into it, but to think about what are some things that they need to work on? What are some things that they can do before taking that step for sure? And you mentioned Juan Sanchez, just a, a, a remarkable brother. Uh, if you haven't listened, we, we did a podcast recently on leadership with him. So for our listeners, if you haven't listened to that yet, I highly recommend doing that and checking out his book. And he actually played a small role in your book as well. One of the things you mentioned, though, is that pastors are humans, too. So pastors being human, we can safely assume they're going to make mistakes. They're going to they're going to make mistakes in ministry. Uh, no pastor is immune from mistakes, but sometimes uh, pastors can face criticism without making mistakes because not only are they human, the people that they're shepherding are human as well. So how can pastors respond to criticism that doesn't you know, result from anything they've done wrong? How can they respond to that kind of criticism in a godly way? Yeah, that's a great question because it happens. I mean, uh, criticism and ministry go hand in hand. And so you you do have to prepare yourself for that. It's not if, it's when. And it's one of the hardest parts of being a pastor. You know, when you pour yourself out uh, for people and, and serve, and then you get that stinging critique. And the hardest ones to handle are the ones that are not fair. You know, if you do something stupid and somebody criticizes you for it, it's it is what it is. You know, you kind of deserve it. But if you feel like you you have been unfairly criticized. That's where it's really tough to to face that. So uh, I would tell, you know, any aspiring pastor at this point, just be prepared for it. You know, you you have to develop, uh, you know, someone has said the hide of a rhinoceros, but keep the heart of a puppy and or a golden retriever. You know, you have to have a a tough skin, but a tender heart towards people. And and the one thing you don't want to have, have happen is to be tender skinned, overly sensitive, and then develop a tough heart where you're cynical toward 
people. I mean, the bride of Christ is broken, but is beautiful. And it, it, she's a bride. And so even though you might get hurt by the bride, she's still the bride of Christ. And so we don't want cynicism to enter in. Um, I would just say this, you know, remind yourself that you are far worse than whatever it is that you're being criticized for. And it may not be a bad thing to remind the person who's critiquing you that actually they really knew you, that, that they would be shocked at how much more sinful you are than they actually know. That's an important reminder. Everything that they can accuse me of, you know, there, there, there's, there are many worse flaws in my character than they know about. Uh, another reminder is that all of that has been judged and dealt with on the cross. And so, however sinful and broken I, I actually am, if I'm in Christ, uh, there's no condemnation because Christ has dealt with those things uh, fully, finally, and forever. Um, with those things said, um, W.A. Criswell once said uh, that you should read a book like you eat a piece of fish, that you should eat the meat and spit out the bones. And I would say that criticism kind of works that way as well, that there are always going to be some things, whether it's fair or unfair, the critique, there's going to be something you can learn. And so find the meat of it, find a nugget, find a kernel of truth, find a, find a way to receive what's being said, even if it's in the wrong tone, with the wrong intent, the wrong motivation, find something to learn from that criticism. God can use criticism to shape you and form you into Christ likeness to make you a better pastor. Criticism, it, it can actually be a tremendous gift if you learn to receive it as a sanctifying work of God in your life. If you can be humble enough to say, okay, you know, maybe it was, they, maybe they were mean about it. Maybe it's not all fair, but God can use this in my life to sanctify me and to, to, to form me into a pastor who's more like Jesus, then criticism can be a wonderful gift. But then there are going to be some bones, and there's some things you should ignore. Um, there, there's some things you need to spit out and just forget about. And so you just have to learn how to weed through those things. Find the good in it. See, Learn what you can learn. There's always something to learn. And then you can ignore maybe the things that were uh, not appropriate or not relevant or not helpful. And so, uh, you know, the last thing I'll say about criticism there is uh, this was a great word. Uh, somebody who was not a pastor, but just a, a good friend in my life. He just, he encouraged me with this word that when people complain to you or criticize something, it's, they're doing that because they think you can do something about it. In other words, he said, be careful when people stop bringing their problems to you because then they've lost total faith that you can fix it. At least if they're criticizing something or they're bringing a complaint, then maybe they believe I actually have some ability to fix the problem or do something about it. And so that's encouraging to think about that actually when people critique you, even if it's a harsh critique or an ungodly critique, in, in a sense, they are entrusting their criticism to you. And so you can thank the person, and I've, 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 uh, I'm not great at this, but I, I'm learning how to say thank you for trusting me with that criticism. And then you just ask the Lord to show you what you can learn from it. That's a good word. That's a really good word. How has social media impacted the pastor's character? And I, I know that's a rhetorical question. You don't think that it's impacted 
Pastor's character at all. No. Uh, but uh, <laughs> is is social media a redeemable space? I mean, is there is there any good? I mean, it's almost like like it's become a digital Nazareth, right? I mean, is there you know can anything good come out of social media? You know how how has social media shaped pastors? Uh, and, and just in general, uh, and then also, you know, what, what can we do, you know, with social media that won't ultimately damage our character? Yeah, that's a relevant question and has only become more relevant in the last couple of years. Uh, since COVID, I feel like people are spending more time on in social spaces than, than normal. And we've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, in that time. I think social media, like like most anything is redeemable, but it also can be treacherous. I'm cultivating really carefully, probably the social media space I'm most active in is Twitter. I cultivate very carefully who I follow. Unfortunately, Twitter messes with the algorithm. So you have tweets from people you don't follow. So you see stuff you don't, you're not interested in seeing. Um, That's a problem with Twitter. But I do try as much as I can just to cultivate who I follow. I want to follow, you know, edifying voices. I want to follow encouraging brothers. And, and Twitter has been an encouraging space for me because of that. I'm reading quotes or scripture verses or, uh, you know, thoughts about preaching or pastoral ministry or, or the gospel or whatever that really do. They build me up. And so I think there's some some warnings that we need to be really careful about. You know, we we, we want to be careful not to have sort of a, a, a Twitter bravery uh, where we might say something across a keyboard that we wouldn't say face to face. And that does happen, you know, where uh, you just say something in a way that you would never say that to your neighbor or if you were talking to that person face to face. I think we really need to be careful with that. Um, I, one of my rules um, that I tr- imperfectly follow, but I really strive to follow this is in engaging issues of disagreement, I want to keep it about the issue and not the person. And so you don't want to make a personal attack. You know, I don't want to quote tweet guys I disagree with all the time just to talk about how I disagree with them. Um, so you, you have to be careful there. We do bear witness um, and, and social media is a public space and we want to bear witness not only to the gospel and, and the beliefs that we hold, but also the manner in which we hold those beliefs. We want to be full of truth, but also full of grace. We want to speak the truth in love. And so we have to watch our tone and, and be careful there. And then, you know, an, another warning, I guess the final warning I would give, you know, if you think about first Peter chapter five, uh, where Peter exhorts uh, the shepherds uh, of the church, uh, the churches to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. And, I think we need to remember that local being present in your locality among the flock in which God has placed you is much more important than shepherding people out there in, in those public spaces. And sometimes that can divert our attention away from place where God has put me here. No, that, that's really helpful. You mentioned that more people are spending time on social media, you know, especially the past couple of years, especially with COVID. A lot of people are spending a lot more time on social media. How can pastors shepherd with character on social media? Maybe even thinking about their 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 members, how their members use social media. How how can they shepherd them? Well, I think that's part of the redeemable aspect of it. I mean, it is a tremendous resource. It is a it is a broadcast mechanism. And so you may not, you know, the old, I grew up listening to Adrian Rogers and Tony Evans on the radio. Uh, most pastors are never going to have a radio program, but you might have a Facebook uh, page where a, a good chunk of your church members follow you and they're watching 
that space. So it's a wonderful uh, place to share resources, to share devotional thoughts, to share articles. You know, I saw, for instance, Southeastern Seminary, uh, you guys offer multiple free uh, seminary type courses online. I shared that on our church's Facebook page a week or two ago, just as a resource to say to a church member who wants to go deeper, hey, here's a great resource from one of our seminaries. You can watch this. You know, what a wonderful redeemable aspect of it. It is also a great way to model how to interact and engage and disagree in a Christ-like spirit. And so, you know, a lot of times if you have a, a post on Facebook and somebody kind of engages with you there, or maybe it's on Twitter and you're going back and forth, it's not just the person that you're in conversation with. It's the people watching the conversation. And a lot of our church members are watching us converse. And so we can actually model for them what it looks like to have civil, charitable, kind disagreement on issues. And so I think that, that, that all of those are ways that we can model Christ-likeness in, in social media spaces. All right. Well, let's say that we've got some pastors who are listening or even aspiring pastors that are listening in, what final words would you want to give to them, you know, regarding their character, regarding their walk with Jesus? Um, what, what are some words that you can give to them uh, as they're uh, listening in? Bonjour, there are so many things I would want to say here. Um, you know, we, we, do, we do, do devote so much of our time and energy to thinking about preaching, uh, organizational matters, um, vision, strategy, all of these things um, that sometimes we just do neglect the basics. And I, uh, General uh, Mattis wrote a book in which he, he said he encouraged his soldiers to be brilliant in the basics. And I love that phrase. I want to be brilliant in the basics. I want, you know, what are the basics? Well, I want, first of all, my walk with Jesus to be intimate. And so I have to, every single day, spend time in word and prayer. On the regular, I need to be fasting. Um, I need to be engaged with the church at a level just beyond being the pastor, but as a member of the body of Christ. You know, that's basic. With my wife, I want to be a, a great husband. I'm the only one, Lord willing, that she'll ever have. <laughs> so that means I've, I, I want to be the best husband. I want to take her on date night. I want to spend uh, time in conversation. I want to pray with her. With my children, you know, Paramount Baptist Church could have any number of great pa- Either one of you guys could come and be the pastor of Paramount Baptist Church, and you'd be a much better pastor than I am. Any any guys could come, come here, but my kids have one dad, and I've got a, a limited amount of time where I can invest my life. That's the basics, right? Like, I want to be a good dad. I want to spend time with my children. I want to lead them in family worship. I want to have fun with them. I want to be an intentional father. Um, so these are the these are the basics. I would just encourage pastors, just focus on the basics. Don't overcomplicate it. Simplify. Uh, narrow the focus. Clarify. Think about your walk with Jesus. Think about your wife. Think about your children. Think about what it means to be a good disciple. Uh, love your church members well. Experience grace yourself when you fail, because you will fail. And so enjoy the grace of God in that failure. Um, don't forget to rest. Sabbath every week. Take breaks. Pray more than you think you need to pray. And then just trust that you are you're an under-shepherd. You're an under-rower. Uh, you're a steward. But we have a chief shepherd who is watching over his flock and that includes you. And so you can rest and trust uh, the one who is 
a chief shepherd. He's the, the shepherd of our souls. He is the good shepherd. Uh, so many ways that G- Jesus is described and, and just trust and rest in that. Mm. What a good word, brother. Well, that'll do it for today's conversation, brother. Thanks again for joining us. If you haven't already pre-ordered Shepherding Like Jesus, please go do that. Change that today. Add it in your cart. Make it happen. This is a much needed resource and conversation. I'm so grateful for the wisdom and insights, brother, that you share both in your book and in our conversation today. We want to thank you for listening to another episode of Pastor Matters. If you found this episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review. Uh, We'd love to hear any feedback you'd be willing to give us. As always, it is our mission at the Center for Preaching and Pastoral Leadership to equip and encourage pastors. And I hope we've done that today with our conversation. And as always, friends, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain.